So I want to start off this morning by playing a little game. Who likes games? I think more people like games than put their hands up. So uh, we'll just run with it though. Okay, so uh, close your eyes and think for a second. You can play this game whether you're here or at home. Close your eyes. 60 seconds, your house is on fire, what do you grab? Now I mean this as a bit of a serious exercise. Think about it. Name one thing and then tell your, the person sitting beside you, what, would you have, what did you think of? What would you have grabbed? Throughout my life, I think this changed when I was living in a dorm. I think it probably would have been our Xbox. Now, I think it's probably my children. (laughs) And I hope most of the parents out there are saying the same thing. Um, According to the Bible, running this scenario through our heads is actually really important. And Jesus hones in on this in this passage. Because what Jesus says in this passage is what we treasure, and that's what this whole thing um, gets us to kind of think about, what we treasure has the power to make it or break it in our lives. And so this morning we're going to look deeper at what Jesus is talking about with this idea of treasure under three kind of headings, three questions, three things. One is, um, what is the reality of treasure in our lives? Second thing is, what is the truth of treasure in our lives? And third is, what is the grace of treasure that we need? The, tr- the reality of treasure, the truth of treasure, and the grace of treasure. And so, what is the reality of treasure? What does Jesus mean when he talks about this? Uh, Dallas Willard, who's a, a, a very influential Bible uh, scholar, he defines treasure. He talks about treasure like this. He says, treasures are things that we try to keep because of a value we place on them. They may be of no value whatsoever in themselves, but it's the value that we place on them. And then we take great pains to protect it. And so uh, treasure, as Willard puts it, and he's talking, he's commenting on this passage when he's saying this. He says that treasure is something that we value and we protect. And so I brought along something that my son, Austin, he's just over two, uh, deeply values. One of his most treasured possessions is his stuffed lion. Okay? Now, is this lion worth a lot? No. Um, it's not going to be enough to secure his retirement savings, right? Or um, pay any, uh, any, make any much impact in his um, university education or college education or whatever. That lion does not have a lot of worldly value, but it is valuable in his eyes. In fact, he goes to great pains and lengths to protect it from being taken out of his crib when he wants to cuddle with it. He holds it close. He talks about it. He treasures his lion. Now, what about you? Now, 
most of us probably don't treasure a stuffed lion, but there are treasures that we have. What is something that you value, that you've put value into, or, and what, what do you protect? Maybe it's something that you've worked hard for, or something that you've inherited. Uh, maybe your family, or a career, or a relationship, or maybe something physical. Um, here's the thing, like breathing, we, you know, we all breathe. Every single one of us has treasure. It's not if we do, it's what we treasure. But the real reality of treasure, and this is what Jesus starts to dig at in this passage, when he says things like, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is that our external treasures are actually just signposts. They're not an end in themselves. They point to something deeper, something even greater that we treasure in our hearts. This is what Jesus means when he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are not healthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. What we treasure, what we put value into, and what we protect says a great deal about who we are as a people. Like the tip of an iceberg, an external treasure is this, just the surface of something deeper. Dale Carnegie is, a, is an American author, and he hones in on this. He says this, The royal road to a man's heart or a woman's heart, is to talk to them about the things that they treasure most. We know that this is true, don't we? You know, things that we treasure, physical things, are often, uh, we discover over time, just uh, 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 try, us trying to cover up a deeper insecurity that we feel worthless. Right, the, I heard the, the other week someone say that almost everyone who owns a Lamborghini is just someone who wants to be loved. Right? There's, there's something about physical treasures that we try to uh, cover up our deeper insecurities with. But like a bug that, you know, can't help but fly towards the light, our treasures, what we put value in, into, what we protect, will always align themselves with the health of our hearts. And that's the question that Jesus puts before us this morning. Can we ask that tough question? Can we look at what we value and what we, we work hard to protect and say, what is this saying about my heart? Is it healthy? The reality of treasure is that we all have them, and they always point to something deeper. But what about the truth of treasure? The truth is our earthly treasures have the power to take over our lives. Remember, no treasure is neutral, right? Every treasure points to something deeper, and every treasure draws us down a specific path. There's no greater example of this than the Lord of the Rings. And if uh, over the past two years, First Hamilton, if you've gotten to know me, you know that I love uh, making any connection to Tolkien's great story of the Lord of the Rings. And so I'll take this opportunity to do it again and think of the character Gollum. Right? He's this, this character who becomes absolutely obsessed with what? The ring. The power of the ring. 
Even though the reality was that the ring was leading him in a, in a, in a destructive direction. The irony is that the ring promised so much to Gollum, and it began to, to strip away everything that he was, was wanting. Gollum, at one point, you know, famously says, you know, we wants it. We needs it. We must have the precious, right? He is completely overcome by this treasure, and he can't see. He's blinded to the fact that it's destroying him. But that's just Gollum. Right? That's just Gollum. He's a no-good, weak, cowardly character. But on the same level, what's so striking about Tolkien's story is that Frodo, good, innocent, kind-hearted, loving Frodo, was caught, captured, and almost destroyed by the same thing. Right? The ring almost captured Frodo. And we see this near the end of the story. As, as Frodo is being enticed by the promise of control and power that the ring says it will provide to the one who holds it. It looks so innocent, right? And that's, the, that's what the reader of these stories knows, is that, you know, when Frodo's thinking, oh, I'll just slip it on just this once, and you're thinking, no, don't do it, because it's a slippery slope. What starts small begins to lead Frodo down the path, the same path as Gollum. See, in many ways, we struggle with this truth, that treasures, earthly treasures, at first seem innocent, but eventually, if we let them into our hearts, begin to take over our lives and strip us of our humanity, of the things that they promise to give. For example, you, you love your job. You love helping people, and you believe you're doing really good work. Recently, you've earned a promotion, and now you feel even more empowered and tuned in and connected you also love the new paycheck and the, the perks that come with this, this new role. But it's gotten harder and harder to say no to work in the evenings. And the boundaries between work and family life have started to get a little bit blurred. It's just an email here, a phone call there, a Zoom call here, until one night your daughter says to you, Mommy, how come you never read me a bedtime story anymore? What happened? Was it a turn on of a light bulb, an overnight switch? No, it was a subtle change. Something good like career was overvalued, over-treasured, and it began to take over. Or you find yourself with a beautiful young family that you love, and you love the moments together, sharing time with your kids, and seeing them succeed and do a whole bunch of new things and cool things and awesome things, and, and having kids is great and it's such a beautiful gift, and then all of a sudden they head off to university, and the house is empty, and you're finding it hard to live without their constant presence in your life, without your kids around, you feel like you've lost yourself and not just your kids. Was it a direct shift? No. It was a small shift that happens when earthly treasures are overvalued in our lives. This is the truth of treasures, is that when we let them 
into our hearts as ultimate treasures, they begin to take over. The Bible talks strongly about this reality. Earthly treasures that take over our lives are called idols. And John Calvin, the the theologian, says our hearts are actually idol factories. We can't help it. We are caught in this cycle. We take good things that God has given us, like career or family or friends or things, possessions, and make them into ultimate things that destroy us. And so how can we break out of this cycle? This is the third point, the grace of treasure. How can we break out of this cycle? The only way, according to the Bible, to break out of this cycle is to be captured by the beauty of grace. See, whenever somebody in the scriptures encounters Jesus and is transformed, it's never because of the promise of eternal life. It's never really because of of the um, benefits of Jesus Christ. It starts, those are those eventually spur us on and are beautiful, wonderful things in our relationship with Jesus, but it's not the starting point in many of the encounters with Jesus in the Gospels. What is the encounter is grace, is being met and captured by grace. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well who realizes when Jesus is talking with her that, that Jesus knows her dark and broken past and still offers her the water of life. Or Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who knows the social damage that Jesus took on to go into the house of a sinner and offer him the blessing of God. This points out to us that true value lies not in what something promises us when we achieve it, but how something treats us when we fail it. When you fail your career, it won't forgive you. When you fail your idea of your own physical beauty or following or sense of approval, it'll wreck you. When you fail the idea of a perfect family, it'll rip you apart. But when you fail Jesus, he meets you in grace. And he offers you his hand. In fact, the gospel tells us that that's why Christ came to earth was to extend the grace of God to his people. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he looked at you. He saw you. He saw all of us and the mistakes that we've made, the poor decisions, the selfish moments. But instead of judging us or abandoning us, he stayed. And he embraced you. He stayed on the cross. And he offered himself to save the world and change history, giving us hope and a future. See, the grace of Jesus is the most beautiful and valuable treasure to broken and wounded souls. So don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. And Jesus graciously gives us all things we need. 
So what do you seek? What do you want? What could be better than receiving the grace of Jesus? John Stott says this is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. He says to seek first this kingdom is to receive the grace of Jesus and to desire to spread the reign of Jesus Christ. Such a desire will start with ourselves in our hearts until every single department of our life, home, marriage, and family, personal morality, professional life, and business ethics, bank balance, tax returns, lifestyle, citizenship, is joyfully and freely submissive to Christ. This takes time, First Hamilton. It takes time to find all our earthly treasures in their proper place under Jesus. Be captured by grace. This is what it means to seek first the kingdom. And this is our mission at First Hamilton, is to seek first the kingdom of Hamilton by being transformed by this good news. And then participating with God in his work of renewing the city and world. And so my desire for our church is that this mission to participate with God would capture our hearts, even in the midst of a coronavirus, even in the midst of limitations in how we do that, that we would be captured by a desire to see God transform the world, just as he has transformed us, that we would get vocal with each other, that we would not stand up for complacency, that we would get passionate about being on the same page as Jesus, that we would spur each other on. Seek first the kingdom. I'll conclude with words from the German theologian and eventually martyr uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, put it like this. He said, After a person has been following Christ for a long time, the disciple of Jesus will be asked, Do you lack anything? What are you missing? And he will answer, Nothing, Lord. How could he when he knows that despite hunger and nakedness, persecution and danger, the Lord is always by his side? Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning in awe and wonder that you treasure us, that we are your treasure so much that you, you reached down, you sent Christ to extend us the grace that our wounded and broken souls need. Father, would you help this reality to sink into our hearts? May this change how we see treasure, earthly treasure, how we seek the kingdom, and how we live every moment of the day. In your spirit, Father, give us the power to say no to the idols of the world, to see them for what they really are, and to treasure you above all things. In Jesus we pray. Amen.